Hey everybody, it is great to have you with us today. Uh, some of you might know this, but I have COVID. So thankfully we have this amazing technology that allows us to still communicate and connect. Um, so you know I'm feeling pretty good. I can't taste much of anything, but if that's as bad as it gets, I'm, I'm doing all right. So we are in this series called Future You, and uh, we've been asking the question, who will I be a few years from now? And is it who I want to be? You know, there's a, uh, there's a Chinese proverb that you've all probably heard that goes like this. It goes, even a journey of a thousand miles starts with a simple step. And that's uh, kind of inspiring, right? You think no matter how long of a journey, if you keep on stepping, you'll eventually go a thousand miles. But that uh, should also give you a pause. Because depending on which direction you are facing, it's either a great thing or a terrible thing. Because the same thing is true in reverse, right? Meaning, if I, if I take a single step in the wrong direction, then I could very easily end up 2,000 miles away from where I want to be. You see, we get to where we want to be, and we get to where we don't want to be the same exact way. One day at a time, one step at a time. So today I want to talk to you about that idea, something small adding up over time. And we're going to look at Deuteronomy 7 and Exodus 23. Both passages say basically the same thing, uh, but we're going to get one more detail in Exodus that Deuteronomy doesn't give us. So these scriptures that we're about to read are kind of some, some advice in a pep talk before the nation of Israel enters into the promised land. So a little backstory for, for most of you, this is probably pretty familiar, but maybe not for all of us. But there was this man named Abraham. Abraham was just a random guy. And God made some incredible promises to Abraham, like you're going to become a nation, your family. You're going to have so many kids, and your kids are going to have kids, and your kids' kids are going to have kids, and have kids, and have kids, and have kids, and have kids. And eventually your family is going to be more numerous than the stars in the sky. Now here was the interesting thing about this. Abraham and his wife were really old and had no kids and were unable to have kids. But however impossible it seemed, Abraham believed God. Then the Bible says God waited until Abraham's body was as good as dead to fulfill the promise. That's not a compliment. You're not going to see that in a lot of online dating profiles. My name's Roger. I like to travel. My body's as good as dead. And yet Abraham believed God. Well, God did keep his promise. Abraham's family did become a great nation. And through a series of events, they ended up as slaves in Egypt. It's a long story. You can read about it. But the Israelites, this, this Israelite nation ended up as slaves in Egypt. And they are there for about 400 years. And finally, it's time to get out of there. So you know the story. God raises up Moses to deliver them. You see a lot of foreshadowing of Christ and Moses. When you look at Moses, you see details that are like what Jesus would eventually do. And as Moses led them out of Egypt, we have a picture of us being led into salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. They went across the Red Sea. The waters parted, and so they get led out. That's a picture of trusting Jesus. Coming through the Red Sea, that's a picture of baptism. But that wasn't the end of the story. You see, just because they'd, they'd been delivered out of Egypt doesn't mean they had entered into the Promised Land. And see, many people mistake faith in Christ as simply fire insurance. But the end of your faith and relationship with God isn't just that you wouldn't go to hell. That's just the starting point. God wants to use your life. There's a calling on your life. 
There's potential inside of you. You are his masterpiece, he says. There are plans for you to walk in. And tragically, the Israelites wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And this is, that's a picture of so many who have, have, a, have a saved soul, but a wasted life. It is a picture of those who are saved. They aren't going to hell, but they aren't doing anything for heaven along the way. They aren't accessing all that God has for them. And so we know after Moses was gone, Joshua was raised up, who again is a picture of Jesus, who would lead them across the, the Jordan River. And in the Jordan River, we have this picture of stepping into your calling, stepping into all that God has for you. Kind of that idea of tapping into the Holy Spirit's power in your life and, and the day-to-day -day abiding with Jesus and denying yourself and picking up your cross and following Him and moving forward and making progress and learning more and becoming more and, and transformation. And that's where we get to the heart of this series, Future You. I want you to step into your calling and your potential now for the sake of future you. There's a clip that I want to show you that demonstrates the opposite of this idea. That's a problem for future Homer. Man, I don't envy that guy. <laughs> so that's a problem for future Homer. Man, I don't envy that guy. There's no escaping the fact that future you is waiting a bit further down the continuum of time, hoping that present you makes wise, good choices and steps into God's calling for their sake. It's not some imaginary person waiting for you in the future. It's you. And I really don't want you to think, man, I don't envy that guy. So here's what we're talking about. We're talking about Israel entering into all that God has for them. And what we're about to read is God giving them a pep talk before they head into the promised land. Why? Because it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy for you to become who God wants you to be. It's easy to stay in your problems. It's easy to stay in your temper. It's easy to stay in unhealthy habits. It's easy to stay lazy. It's easy to stay argumentative and cynical and gossip and to be critical. It's easy to not do anything but want everything, to be entitled. That's the easiest thing in the world. You don't have to do anything to do that. You don't have to do anything for your life to pass by. You don't have to do anything for your story to be a tale of what could have been. That's easy. As the world keeps turning and this brief vapor of time that we get on this earth is passing us by. So with the Israelites, there, there were going to be battles. There were going to be nations that would try and keep them from taking the promised land. In fact, the Bible describes the nations that they're going to have to fight to take what God wants for them to, have, to, have, to be great and mighty nations. And because they felt so small and so weak, God knew they felt like they were going to fail. But what God wanted them to understand was that it was exactly because they were small that they were going to have to depend on Him. So now we're all caught up. Let's jump in. Deuteronomy 7, 17. He says to them, If you should say in your heart, These nations are greater than I, how can I dispose them? You shall not be afraid of them. But you shall remember well what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all Egypt. I love that because he's telling them, don't look at your limitations or your opposition even. Look at the Lord. Remember all that he's done for you. And that's why these, those pivotal moments, uh, a time of fasting, a great time of prayer, a mission trip, any great thing God has done in you and for you 
You have to pull those back into mind when you're going through present difficulties. That's why David talked about the bear and the lion he killed when he was going up against Goliath. Whenever you face something difficult, remember how God was faithful to you when you went through that, that, that difficult thing. So he says, remember that I'm with you. Remember what I did at the Red Sea. Remember the, the Nile River turning to blood. Remember that I am God. I'm still in control. And then in verse 21, you shall not be terrified of them, for the Lord your God, the great and awesome God, is among you. And then look at this. This gets a little weird, and it's where I really want to focus in today. And the Lord your God will drive out those nations before you little by little. You will be unable to destroy them at once, lest the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. But the Lord your God will deliver them over to you and will inflict defeat upon them until they are destroyed. So God says, you're going to progress into the promised land little by little. Not what they wanted to hear. I guarantee it. Because he had made this promise that he was going to send fear into the hearts of those who were, they were about to fight before they got there. I mean, in Exodus 23, 28, he said, I'm going to send my hornet before you. I have no clue what that means. Send a hornet? I read seven commentaries this week trying to figure it out so I could tell you about it. And every one of them was like, I have no idea what it means either. But it sounds scary, doesn't it? Some say maybe it was real hornets. Some said maybe it was a giant hornet. That would scare me. I'd run away. And so he promised he was going to help them. And now he's like, but it's not going to happen all at once. It's going to happen incrementally, little by little. Exodus 23, let's look at this. Almost the same, but we get one more detail just to see the kind of the time frame. It says in verse 29, I will not drive them out before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. So instead, little by little, I will drive them out from before you until you have increased and you inherit the land. So God was saying, trust me, don't be scared. I got all the power in the universe. And if you doubt it, just remember what I did at the Red Sea. If you doubt it, just remember what I did bringing you out of Egypt. But also know, I'm not going to use all my power at once. I'm going to meter it out as you fight each and every battle. Why? Two reasons. Number one, because if God used all the power at once, just sending clouds of hornets, scared off all of Israel's enemies in one fell swoop, why would they need to ever pray again? Why does God lead us one step at a time? Why does he give us one day's worth of strength at a time? Why does he tell us today is sufficient for its troubles? Why does he say that his mercies are new every morning? Why does he say that we should pray, God, give us this day our daily bread? Why can't he have a bread truck come and bring me a bunch of loaves of bread? Because it's got to be used actively. You can't rely on today's quiet time to sustain you next week. We need him every day. We've got to keep our walk with God in the present tense. We've got to every day trust and every day believe in him. He'll give us the power just as we need it. Not a moment sooner, but not a moment later either. But there's a second reason, that's, and that's the one he actually cited. He said, I can't drive out all these enemies who are currently living in these places that I'm going to have you live eventually. Because if I drove them out now, you guys aren't numerous enough to populate all these places. And I don't want you to bite off more than you can chew. God actually promises them, one day you will live in houses you didn't build. You will enjoy food from the fields you didn't plant. 
You will drink from wells that you did not dig. And I just believe for many of you as well there, that there's favor in your future. There's blessing in your future from seeds planted now. As we trust in the Lord, Proverbs 16, 20, whoever gives heed to instruction prospers and blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. But God is telling the Israelites, if I, if I drove out all the people and you, went, you weren't ready to go and live in these towns, he says the wild beasts would become too numerous for you. Everything would get run down and decrepit. And the vines would grow up and it would just be a complete, just be complete chaos. And then he'd go and to, to move in and it would be difficult for them to drive out all the wild animals. He says, there'd be a, be a grizzly bear living in the house that you want to try to live in. That'd be difficult. So guys, I'm not going to give it to you before you're ready to maintain it. I'll give it to you just at the right time. So trust me little by little. It's gradual. I think the words that God spoke to them apply to us as well as we look into the future. The words are little by little. My message in the sentence is this. Victory isn't one huge thing. It's a small thing continually repeated. One city at a time, one battle at a time. We fought the Hivites. Okay, now we go fight the Girgashites. Well, what about the Girgashites? Now you've got to hit the Jebusites. All right, I got the Jebusites. Now we've got to go get the, the termites. You see, you, they just keep going, keep going. Then the hill country, then the city, then this fortified embankment. And God told them, it's not going to be done in a year. In fact, when you read the book of Joshua, the major battles lasted sometimes for seven years. So I think maybe we need to rethink what it's going to take to be the future you you want to be. Because throughout this series, we've been saying, what do you want your life to look like a few years from now? And I think if we're ever going to get there, we need to really make the steps that are going to get us a thousand miles small enough that they're sustainable. The step that it's going to take to get to a thousand miles need to be small enough that we'll actually do them. Most of us, it's not that we're dreaming too much or planning too much or hoping too much. For most of us, we make our plans so big that there's no way that we can possibly sustain them for a year, much less a few years from now. So he says, here's a solution, little by little. I recently read the book Finished by John Acuff. It's a good book. That is part of what inspired the series. But in that book, John says that you should make your goals stupidly small, really small. What do you mean by that? You know, sitting on the couch in the evening, it is very hard to talk ourselves into doing a 30-minute workout, right? Anybody ever been there? Okay, we got to go find our gym clothes. There's somewhere. We're just trying to psych ourselves up. And most of us in that position are simply unable to summon the willpower to go to the gym for, 30, for a 30-minute 30 workout. We're at rest. We like to stay at rest. So he says, cut your goals way back. Instead of a workout, just do a push-up, one push-up. You know, we make these resolutions. I'm going to get in shape. I'm going to do it. I'm going to be disciplined. And that first day you bust out a hundred push-ups. And the next day you're so sore that you're walking around like a Tyrannosaurus Rex. Can't do push-ups for a week, you know. And so the hundred push-ups a day, maybe that's not sustainable. Maybe he says, you should say, I'm going to do one push-up. Why? Because if you're sitting on the couch and it's the end of the day, and you realize you didn't do your commitment, the thought of going to the gym may be too much. 
the thought of doing 100 push-ups before you before bed you will you will talk yourself out of that faster than you can think but if you said i could do one push-up before i go to bed i can obviously muster the stamina to get down on the ground even at my bedside and do that what's that gonna take two seconds and then all of a sudden wow look at that met my goal for the day wait a minute well i'm already down here might as well do a few more he says that oftentimes what's going to happen is when you start doing your small thing, you're going to realize Newton's law is right. An object of rest stays at rest, but once you get in motion, it's easier to stay in motion than to stop. And so more often than not, now that you know you've already met your goal, you're actually technically getting extra credit. So you bust out a few more. And all of a sudden you're, you're going, this is great. Why? Because you did more than you have to do. Because you got yourself going by doing something small. So he says, shrink your goals. He says, don't say you're going to read for 30 minutes a day. Say, I'm going to read two pages a day of a book. Two pages. And because a lot of times you're going to want to know what the end of that sentence says, and it happens to be on page three, you're like, well, I don't, I know I'm not supposed to, but I just might read one more. I'm so naughty. But setting up a goal that's small, it allows us to get to the starting line. Because honestly, the hardest part of a goal usually isn't actually doing it, it's getting to the starting line. All right, a couple pointers as we put this into practice in our lives. We reach our goals little by little. It's all over the Bible, by the way. You can read it from Jesus, who said, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all the seeds. But when it is grown, it is greater than the herbs, and becomes a tree. So the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. Something little, something that starts small, can become something great. Why do people, why do so many people not get there? It's because so many of us do what Zechariah says not to do, and we despise the day of small things. We look at the one push-up and we go, there's no way that's going to help me. So what's the point? We look at what we're paying on our credit card and we think of paying a few extra bucks to get that principal down a little bit, and we think, it isn't gonna make a difference. And we despise the small things that if we keep, we kept persisting, just kept persisting, and the little by little by little by little, that would eventually get somewhere great. But we just get discouraged because we want instant progress. We want instantly to see that we've made a difference. That's just not how most things work. But if we trust the process, like Job does, Job 8, 7, though you started with little, you will end with much, if you just keep going. All right, four words of caution as we look at the goals for future you. Number one, choose carefully. Why? Because not all goals are created equally. Some have a greater ability to transform your lives than others. Research refers to these as keystone habits. Keystone habits are a big deal. There are some areas of life that you can change, and if you do, they will have a cascading effect that will spill over into other areas of your life. They literally can be life-changing. What are those keystone habits? Well, flossing is on the list. Not just one tooth. Don't make your goals that small. Making your bed is a keystone habit. Interestingly enough, is co-related to spending less on your credit card. Though those are very different things. But if you make your bed every morning, somehow it gives you a greater sense of discipline and purpose. And you won't spend as much on your credit card. Taking vitamins in the morning is a great keystone habit. 
If you care about your body enough to take vitamins, it gives you some motivation to not squander that habit with bad health decisions the rest of your day. I think spiritually, tithing is a spiritual discipline that has effects that are far beyond your finances. As you make your decision to orient your heart towards heaven. Uh, keystone habits. I don't have time to get into the whole thing, but, but look them up. Read about them. They're, they're great. The second thing I think you should do is you should spell it out specifically. You've identified, hopefully, where you want to be a few years from now. And now you're, you're, we're starting to go one step at a time to get there. But whatever your one step is going to be in the coming days, spell it out specifically. Make a plan. Don't use fuzzy language. Be specific. What would be an example of fuzzy language? Uh, so, uh, let's say, I'm going to eat better. How will you ever know if you got there? That's fuzzy. What would be a, an example of spelling it out specifically? How about this? If chips are your problem, that's where I'm guilty, man. I love me some chips. But if I say, I'm not eating Doritos this year, that is specific. And if I'm walking around with orange fingers, people will know I haven't kept my goal. You see what I'm, what I'm saying? I'm going to drink less alcohol this year. Less than who? There's always somebody drunker than you. We have to be specific. And the reason that's one, that one's so important is because we are capable of endless self-deception. All right, number three, track it. So you're just, you're just choosing carefully and you're spelling it out specifically, but you also need to track it diligently. Why is that? Well, as the authors of the phenomenal book, The Four Disciplines of Execution put it, the truth is, if you're not keeping score, you're just practicing. They put it this way. They said, bowling through a curtain might be fun in the beginning, but if you can't see the pins fall, it will soon become boring, even if you really love bowling. Why? It's the keeping score that makes it fun. What's the first thing you ask when you see a game on and you walk into a room and they're not showing it? What's the score? Score is what causes things to be interesting. And so if you want to keep yourself interested in the change you want, you have to keep score. To keep score, you have to have data. To, have, to keep data, you have to write things down. What am I eating? Write it down. That will open your eyes. It will make you change your order at a restaurant because you go, I don't want to have to write that down. If you write down when you work out, if you write down when you have a quiet time, if you uh, write down that you, you read the Bible, it actually causes you to keep score. And when you keep score, you'll stay interested longer. So however it works for you, keep track of the small incremental steps that add up to the life that you want. There's a fourth thing, and the fourth is this. Once you've done all that, you've got to guard it aggressively. If you put those three things in place, you're on the right track, you're, now you guard it aggressively. And here's what you're guarding. Days linked together. Slow and steady. Today I got my push-up. Today I floss one tooth. Today I read my two pages. You're guarding momentum aggressively. And whatever you do, don't skip twice. Don't skip, skip twice. What's that mean? It means there's going to be a day where you're not going to do it. You fell asleep, everything got crazy, you got sick, whatever happened. You missed a day, all right? So the temptation we would have is to wake up the next day berating ourselves, feeling like a failure, and going, all right, we'll try again next year, better luck later. But instead, we should double down on our efforts to start a new chain. Start a new chain. Never miss twice. 
because now you're going back to being an object to rest and it's going to take all that momentum energy to overcome inertia and get going once again. So make your habits relatively easy, but never miss doing them, little by little. But don't stop fighting, don't stop going, because little by little eventually becomes a lot. That is how you make a better life and a stronger body and soul, in a deeper relationship with the Lord. For future you, because I want you to envy future you. Amen. Lord, help us. We need your help. Help us to have the endurance to transform our lives little by little. Give us big prayers, big dreams, uh, but sustainable steps to get there, Lord. Lord, help us not to despise the days of small things and small beginnings, Lord. Bless us in this journey that we all have ahead of us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you.